0: most of us haven't grown up with this openness about sex, even though I say we're in this sex saturated world where there's stuff everywhere. So it's okay to say to yourself, this feels really uncomfortable. And also, by the way, you don't have to watch porn or say you like porn to have a conversation about porn. Just like perhaps you're a non-drinker and you're having a conversation with your young people in the house about, hey, we don't drink or we don't do drugs. So this is a conversation around, there's this thing, you're going to see it probably very likely they that like. Search for it themselves or they'll accidentally find it. So I think that's important to know that we can also get comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations.
1: Hi, I'm Talia, and welcome to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today my guest is Naomi Hutchings, a clinical sexologist and relationship counsellor currently working in Brisbane, Australia. She's been working in the field of human sexuality for over 17 years, has a master's degree in health science in sexual health from the University of Sydney, an arts degree with a double major in gender and politics, and she's currently completing a postgraduate degree in counselling. Naomi started her work out of a strong desire to improve what she determined to be inadequate sexual health education and relationship curriculum in Australia. Welcome Naomi, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I am really, really excited today to talk to you. We're going to talk about why porn literacy should be talked about more at home, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is just such an important topic and I've been really, really excited to to speak to you about this. Um, But before we jump into it, can you tell us a little bit about your story and How you became a clinical sexologist and relationship counsellor?
0: Look, I kind of fell into it, I think. Um,
1: I had an unplanned
0: pregnancy when I was 16, so I became a mama at 17 years old and I'd been at a Catholic school and pretty much my sex education was nil other than don't have sex until you're married kind of stuff. So I think... um, Back back then, um, you couldn't even go to uni unless you uh, were a mature age student. Like if you'd left school and you didn't get year 12, which I had to because I had a baby. Uh, I had to wait and become a mature age student so at 21 I went to uni and that's kind of I fell into you know I think they called it uh, women's studies then now they use the term gender studies but it was women's studies and politics and I kept looking into things teenage pregnancies and stuff a whole bunch of different things and it got me really kind of thinking about like the inadequate sexual health education system here um, and how I think it lets people down so that's sort of how I kind of started looking at that and then I started doing volunteer work with young people uh, trying to do different bits of training so I was doing a lot of training with sexual health service that I ended up running that training myself years years later uh, but I ended up becoming after lots of volunteer stuff lots of training I did it became like a community health worker which is a sex educator in a sexual health service and so when I did my master's, I got accepted into that master's because of all my work experience. So yeah, did the, did the master's and so really I've been kind of, I was even at one point in Adelaide teaching a human sexuality course. So just sort of been doing lots of different things, but now mostly I just do face-to-face or online um, counselling with individuals or uh, couples. So that's been happening other than things like this podcast, and I do Triple J sometimes on Sunday nights, but I've uh, kind of sort of been doing lots of P, PD all the time. And then as, as you were saying, um, I have started the or nearly finished the counseling degree. I just had to put it on hold because there's some personal stuff. But I did that just because I feel like it's nice having this extra sort of stuff. I'm constantly doing PD or anything I can find. So I'm always doing things. Like that, so that's sort of how I got into it. Very patchy. So it's been a sort of long journey, but I've always been doing something around sexual health and relationships for all that time.
1: Yeah, wow. So that so you've had the first-hand experience of, um, you know, going through. I guess the lack of support. Yeah. Would you describe it as? Yeah,
0: and I think, um, yeah, it was like that. A lot of sex ed, and I think it's still like this today in some places, is just like how to not get an STI and how to not get pregnant. And it it just doesn't talk about all the other things, relationships, consent, and just – also acknowledging that young people have sexual feelings um, and that young people can actually make good decisions and stuff like that. So, you know, all, all of that, I just felt like, and now it's really ad hoc. Now it's just, you know, there's nothing that's Australia-wide that's the same. So everywhere you go, people are going to get different stuff.
1: Mm. Yeah, there's no standard way of teaching it. I, I actually don't remember at school, I was actually talking to one of my girlfriends about this recently. I don't remember my mother having that conversation with me, to be honest, and I also don't remember learning anything about it at school. Mm-hmm. I went to a public school, mm-hmm. and yeah, there was nothing. I mean, maybe we we talked about like like you said, SDIs and that, that yeah, kind of it's thing. Yeah, all the
0: scaremongering or just like biology stuff. Which I mean, it's important to have discussions about them, but not make that be the only thing.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and no one talked about sex. Certainly, no one was having the consent conversation back in back in when I was younger. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of really shocking to think of it, isn't it? It really? is, I think, yeah.
0: And I, I think I spend a lot of time often with clients who are older now and they're looking back, obviously, with Me Too the movement going on and a whole bunch of other stuff. We are talking about sexual assault and things a lot more, even though it's still not great, but we are having the conversation a lot more. And now so many people are looking back and going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, there was no consent there. I'm having so many of those conversations.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's... I don't know. It's just so shocking now, but I think maybe because there's been so much, like, I guess it doesn't feel like it, but progress with me mm-hmm. too. Like that's like the start. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about sexual intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, We spoke about this when we had our intro call. Can you tell us a little bit about what sexual intelligence is? So, I mean, I think the term was coined
0: by Marty Klein, who's an American uh, psychosexual therapist, I think he calls himself. I I really, he has been around for ages and he's written some great books. Um, And I have done a bit of his training and sort of had a lot of dialogue with him because I kind of really felt quite drawn to his, we had similar thoughts about things you know he talks about porn panic and stuff like that um so he uh wrote a book about that but basically the term in a nutshell how i like to look at it really is is that um you know when we want to be sexually intelligent just meaning do we know where do we get our values from? You know, the sex that we're having, are we having sex because we think we should do it this way? Um, and also getting correct information that's not full of judgy stuff, but actual scientific facts. Um, Yeah, all of that, in nutshell sure, just meaning so that you can make really good informed decisions that aren't based on what some people say that we should be doing. And also that, yeah, that we get to think and be curious about where we get our ideas about sex from. That's kind of how I sort of
1: see it. So you mentioned porn panic before. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, yep can you can you I just want to ask what that so I feel that? like this is the thing where um
0: people panic and so it's all this whole moralistic judgment stuff going on instead of actually being really sensible about what's going on they basically go to the work you know and often they say really catchy words like pornification of this and you know and I think and they use that those titles and get into spaces where people are already freaking out about young people having sex and things like that so there's this panic that you know basically I feel like they're very binary. It's like all porn is bad. There is no nuance. There's no conversation. There's just stop doing it, that kind of stuff. And so that's what I talk about, like moral panic. It's like, oh, we're going to stop this. There's something wrong. And, and so I call it the porn panic.
1: Right, right. Okay. I haven't heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So, so let's. So I'm really excited to talk about this in the context of people with children. Mm. I guess this is like a great segue because if they do find out their child is mm. watching porn or they have some curiosity, mm. um, I guess, you know, how do we kind of raise that sexual intelligence in our children and, and have that conversation? I mean, look, I think the, the thing we need to realise is internet's not
0: going anywhere. Okay. So also for a really long time in history, way before the internet, people have enjoyed or got aroused by watching other people have sex, okay? It just happened in different ways. Now we've got the internet, it's here to stay, and there's some really bad things about the internet, but also some fabulous things, right? The fact that we're doing this is part of that whole technology thing. But I think we need to know that it's here, that people will continue to make porn because people want to see it. Uh, so I think in trying to pretend it's not there or just shut off the conversation is not helpful, I don't think that's helpful at right. all. It's like we, and also, I suppose that conversation around thinking we have to have one conversation with our young people or children about the sex talk or whatever, that that's not how I look at it. I look at it as an ongoing conversation. So, mm-hmm. you know, just as I'm sure there's many parents or caregivers listening who already have things set up about, um, you know, I suppose there's all these techie things that you can do to stop you, your children um, accessing certain things. At some point, they're probably going to see it. They're going to see something that is adults being sexual, right? And so we need to have the lines of communication open so they can have a discussion to deal with whatever feelings they are for seeing something. Because it's not just going to be porn. They get, if they're on the internet, they're going to see other things that aren't great too. So it's like yep. you want to have the lines of communication open so they can come with to you and say, I saw this, what does this mean? Because they're children mm-hmm. seeing adults doing things and they don't have the same... Uh, ability to rationalise what's going on and that this isn't real and stuff like that, even though it's real people, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. Well, it's interesting as well that you say that about like porn specifically, because like you said, there's really, there's sexuality everywhere Mm -hmm. in advertisements on Instagram. And what's kind of crazy to me is that you can't show a female nipple on Instagram you can show a male mm-hmm. one but that you can show pretty much everything else of a female's body a woman in a g-string yep. wearing a bra that barely covers her nipples yep. but you can't show her actual yep. nipple which is just so, so strange bizarre I think the genderless nipples on Instagram that was that page that started
0: that where people would just highlight areolas and a nipple and you couldn't work out what's the gender so it was this thing of pushing it at Instagram pushing back at them for doing that
1: yeah, I saw this meme of a woman with a male's nipples posted on yes, her boobs. Yes, I've seen that. That, that was yeah. really, I was like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, there was a really good sort
0: of section um, about 10 um, images of someone like literally going in for surgery and cutting off and putting different nipples on so they can walk outside.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. It, Yeah, it's everywhere. So, like, I I love, okay, I love the idea that we need to talk to our children about this Mm. on an ongoing basis. Mm. So if, I mean, I imagine that is, for some parents, this is going to be easier than others. If if you find yourself a parent and it's incredibly confronting, where's a good place to start with your child? I
0: mean, I think it's important just to acknowledge that it probably is going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people because we most of us haven't grown up with this openness about sex, even though I say we're in this sex-saturated world where there's stuff everywhere. So it's okay to say to yourself, this feels really uncomfortable. And also, by the way, you don't have to watch porn or say you like porn to have a conversation about porn. You know, that's the thing I say to people. It's okay, we can have a conversation about this. Just like perhaps you're a non-drinker and you're having a conversation with your young people in the house about, hey, we don't drink or we don't do drugs, this stuff. So this is a conversation around, you know, um, there's this thing, you're going to see it, probably very likely, and they'll either search for it themselves or they'll accidentally find it. And how mm-hmm. do we have a conversation about that? So I think that's important to know that these, that we can also get comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so how do we start the uncomfortable conversation? Look, I mean, I feel like I often say to people, You don't have to, you know, if you're doing this and you've got younger people start the conversation, like sex education is not just about, you know, people often go, Oh my God, you're telling kids how to have sex. That's not it. It's a, it's just an ongoing conversation, like starting with. Genitals, naming them correctly. And also, if you see your child masturbating, to talk to them and not shame them and just say, Oh, okay, yeah, that feels good. Um, But we don't do that at the table, just like we don't pick our nose or fart at the table, you know, that kind of stuff. Have this sort of Mm -hmm. conversation. So I suppose there's that. But if you're talking specifically about porn, I suppose that's part of your conversation, I imagine, with um, your child having access to things, phones and the smartphones and stuff, sort of saying, Hey, um yeah sometimes you might find things that make you uncomfortable um and so if you want to talk about it can you come and you know have a chat to me I'm happy to talk to you about this so there's lots of ways you can start that conversation because obviously there's many things I'm sure parents are already having to have really uncomfortable conversations like stranger danger or not putting too much information on the internet because what people can do and they're uncomfortable right They're, they're not nice conversations and people often say that to me well I feel bad and they're losing their innocence. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but we also still have to have this conversation because this happens. Right. So porn Mm -hmm. is there and so we can have a conversation saying you might see this Then they're adults and it may be really confusing because they're doing things that look like the person's getting hurt or they're making sounds and um, they're kissing and doing all these things and so um, having a conversation about what are you thinking about this and also describing to them that, you know, just like, You might accidentally see a horror movie and it's really scary and it was acting and, you know, talking through those things.
1: Mm, Yeah, that's a good, I really like that comparison. Mm. You know,
0: like Mm. there are people who pay, I don't, but there are people who go to cinemas and pay good money to sit in there and be scared shitless. And I get it, they just get a high, but most of them leave there and don't go out and do it, they they go there for mm-hmm. the whole adrenaline rush or whatever, like people go on roller coasters and stuff. But for some people they pay or now there's so much, there's still free stuff, uh, porn. So I suppose it's just about trying to have a discussion around that p- p- sex can feel really good and also people like to watch sex so you can do this, just like you can pick a certain genre of other things to find on the
1: internet, you know? Mm. Okay, that, that brings me into a, a question then about um. I know we uh, as we as we know not uh, people in porn I'd say I mean I don't know the stats but probably 90 percent of the time are acting not Mm -hmm. actually enjoying Mm -hmm. it so how do we have that conversation of hey look because you know we don't want children learning and this is what's happening Mm -hmm. right people are normalizing this as normal Mm -hmm. sex Mm -hmm. and that's not always the yeah. case yeah so, so
0: look and there's if you ever look at this research is so conflicting and sometimes you can tell that there's been money put in some research from some really anti-porn people of coming out because there's also some stuff that came out that for some people particularly queer folk who were like they'd never seen two men have sex and so they were like oh that's what happens you know because no one talks about that because the comprehensive sex ed isn't there in inclusive right, right? But it's also just about saying that they are real people and they are having sex, but they're acting out a scene. There are people you can't see behind the scene with lights and a camera. They take a break. So they're also acting like just in a, in another thing you might see on TV that they drift their cars and race like that. And you wouldn't actually do that on the streets every you know your streets near where you live kind of thing so it's about talking about that and also I suppose in the older they get having conversations about this is what I talk about when I say you know porn literacy and, and what does that mean is that you know we want to get critical we want young people to be critical thinkers and looking at the images and again not just porn in all of the stuff like you mentioned before Instagram all the other things you know knowing that things are edited this is a snapshot of not real life right. so I often talk about porn sex versus real sex it means here the real sex so yeah those those actors in there are being sexual but also they're acting out a scene real life sex is let's have a conversation what do you like what do I like and how do we say no and all of those things plus Mm -hmm. diversity and things like that that they're picked because they look that way certain ways often Mm -hmm. that's what you'll see so that not everybody has penises that big and um, all of that stuff, but having a conversation, who's got the power in there, and often a lot of it, depending on what porn you're watching, will, will look very much skewed to men overpowering women. And
1: mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that the women ha often have had uh surgical enhancements Totally. And, mm-hmm. yeah. And that they, you know, they do things so that you can't see their cellular. Yeah. And so Absolutely. Yeah. Women have this this idea that if they are do want to be in a heterosexual relationship and that's what is they are um watching that they should model that person or you know or enjoy it like she enjoys I remember watching Paul when I was younger and I I was just like I I don't know I I just don't make those noises and I don't she doesn't look like she's really enjoying it yes yes
0: and that's kind of also trying to have a conversation that sometimes people are part of that sex play in that scene is something like that, acting out something where the person is at, but they've talked about it beforehand. There's all this stuff that's really tricky. So we say this is why it's really important that you're able to talk to us about it so I can explain to you what's really going on here, that in real life you would have had, you know, things don't go like that and that it's okay to make noises but also sometimes they're making extra noises just because it's for the show.
1: Yeah. Yep. Totally, totally. Oh, this is just, this is really great. So, um, okay. So, this kind of in depth conversation, now, obviously, we want to be age appropriate with our young people. Mm. Um, How, like, you talked about before about like it being an ongoing conversation. Mm. When could we get to the point where we could kind of go in this in depth? Like when would that Look, be? well I just feel like also, you know, every child is a little different
0: and the parents probably know their child better than me. So I often say sometimes though, just, you know, people I say, they'll ask you questions. So often kids will come up and say things like, what's an orgasm? I heard about that. So you can just talk about what that is. And, and, but also some children are not, question, like they don't ask, they're thinking about it. And so I suppose it's about also, I, I say to parents and caregivers, you know, you can use certain things as opportunities to open some dialogue. So, maybe they've got the radio and something said. So, you can say, did you hear that? What, what did you think about that? Do you know what that is? Or maybe kids have already asked that or going to the zoo or something, you know, there's monkeys doing things and it's like you can have mm. conversations. And You know, I don't know, like maybe, maybe as they're getting older and someone's like, what does that word mean? And then you can have a conversation about that. So, you'll know best. But I also say to people that, you know, we teach children lots of things, how to brush their teeth, do, you know, tie their shoelaces, ride a bike and all this kind of stuff. So it's like the best place to start is having a conversation about at home that's not full of shame. Because I often say to people, if you shame them for saying that they watch that, they're probably not going to come to you if they're uncomfortable about something. It's around trying to say that a lot of people get really aroused, whether they're watching it on a on a tv show or the stuff that you see which is obviously a bit more explicit um in porn and trying to have a conversation without shame but just sort of talking about it's not uncommon that people have those feelings but also if you've got uncomfortable feelings what's that about
1: so you know Mm -hmm. really it's about
0: um it, it depends you know some kids have come up and they're really young and they're asking these questions but then i suppose as you get older and knowing that hey you're probably you know you've got this phone you're probably gonna um you know, just along with those other conversations about, uh, you know, being safe, not putting too many details. You know, often I've had conversations with young people about when they're taking, they're being asked to take photos of their body. And I'm like, if you really want to do this after I tell you not to do it, don't put your face in it. Don't put any identifying things in, just stick your nipple in there. You know, it's that kind of thing of having a conversation about how do we do this the safest way? Because you, we all know that young people will sometimes, even adults do this, they do just just do things when they're aroused or the you know, without necessarily thinking of the outcome.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, totally. I think that, I mean, that's really great advice. And, and, and I agree with you that if we don't have these conversations, it's going to happen anyway. It's like not having the drug conversation. Totally. If you don't prepare the children for yes. it, then... They're going to yeah. do it without your help and it's going to be more dangerous yes. than if you just had a conversation. Yeah, like the whole thing it. of drugs. Maybe you're really
0: like totally anti drugs. You're like, don't do this, but you know your kid's going to eventually go to a party and there's going to be drugs, underage drinking, all of that. It's about how do we have a conversation so that they can feel really safe and say if they happen to take drugs, they will not be too scared to ring you if their friends passed out or something like that. Right. So I suppose it's totally. something of talking about that. And that part of that porn stuff is to have the conversations about, um, you know, consent and text and sexting or whatever language people want to use around that but all of that is part of that conversation and I suppose um you know it, you there's ways you can do it as I said even if you don't say hey I know there's a lot of porn out there have you thought about it and if you're one of those parents who's a bit more like okay I understand it's there you could have a conversation with them about if you're going to watch porn have you thought about ethical porn there's this whole new area that people have pushed back at And understanding that some parts of the porn industry are really not okay, so they've pushed back and they've created another space that's safer, so you can have a conversation about that.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you. This is exactly where we were going to go. So the, let's talk a little bit more about ethical mm-hmm. porn. So uh, my understanding is with ethical porn is that you, it's re- subscription based, mm-hmm. like the whole point of ethical it's porn is that people get paid properly and people are, have good working conditions, yes. um, et cetera. And so if that is the case, then I mean, it kind of makes sense that children would access the free stuff mm-hmm. because they Absolutely. are not going to have access to credit cards. Which is why we the combo, right? But then tell them that there's yeah. there, you know? Yeah. Right. So I remember we had a conversation about this in our intro call and um, and I thought this was such an exciting thing to talk about because it's it's kind of really controversial. We talked about the possibility of getting a subscription for yes. your child. And you said there was a lot of legalities around mm. that. Now, apart from the fact that I think a lot of people are going to even find this conversation they quite will. confronting. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about like if, you know, you want your child, mm. you know your child's going to consume mm, porn, mm. you want to inform them of the ethics mm, of it. Mm. Um, two things, like how can we kind of, you know, it's kind of a weird thing to want to buy your it's funny, it's not. A lot of parents
0: talk to me about this. I suppose it's the same thing about, you know, like oh, I had a teenager once, you know, and it's like you, I let her have alcohol in my house in front of me so I could watch her, right. you know, that kind of thing. And so she was a very, yeah. like, sensible around lots of things, right? Um, but mm-hmm. this is that thing. So, yeah, I do have parents ask me that. And I suppose, again, I you you have to know, you know, usually you've got to be over 18, right? That's the thing. But I know that there are. So, yes, some of my parents will say, yeah, I'm going to do it. So they have for their 17-year-olds or whatever, they've got a um, subscription for them to, to look at it. But other people will just say, oh, I can't do that for you. But once you're 18, there's this option. So I suppose I can't. Tell you, I mean, everyone's going to make their own rules up in their family because I know I'm not the only parent who let their child, um, drink alcohol in their house, you know? So there's, there's all the, yeah. you're going to make these decisions, but I think it's important that you at least give them the option and know that that's out there because that just creates conversation anyway, right? You can say, what, what is ethical porn, right? That this is the place that these, these directors were all not just about making money. Of course, they want to make money and most people doing any kind of business, but also knowing that the people that work for them are treated well. They're over 18. They're not trafficked. Um, You know, also they're often directed by women, which is a different way of looking at it, and they're very much more about um, showing diversity and showing, yes, of course there's fantasy scenes, but there's also much more real kind of uh, ways that people have sex they're not just chosen for breast size and, um, you know, people have labia that hang out and, and it's not all just tucked away and penis size and all of those things. So just telling people about that so that they know that there's this option there if they would like to do that and part of that is that you will pay um because you want to know that those people are getting paid and things like that so look you know you have to make that decision for themselves but i know there are parents who do that just like i know folks who i work with a lot of people it's another whole um subject but who have young people in their space with disabilities and they've uh used their money to access sex workers which is a whole nother story but this is what dilemmas that some people face being parents and caregivers
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I used to be a behavioural therapist with children with autism and there was a time when we had to do s- the sexuality, yes. um, what did they call it? Kind of sexuality like a, like ba- education yeah, training, yes. like, like letting them know when it was appropriate to yes. masturbate and yeah. when it wasn't appropriate to mm-hmm. masturbate. And the fact was that it was going to happen. You know, this child's a 15-year-old boy, he, he's got autism, so he doesn't kind of Social um, have the capacity. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't understand what's happening in his body, for starters, and so he's got to learn that. And then he's going to learn where things are, you know, where it's public and private, mm, where things totally. are appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. So um, so with the ethical porn, one of the things you brought up when we had that call was um, was that obviously we can't buy the subscription mm, for the child mm-hmm, because they're under 18. Mm-hmm. So we would have to buy the subscription for ourselves and then they would obviously be consuming yeah, the subscription. Yeah. Now here's an interesting thing. I think uh, when a lot of people think about children consuming porn, they think, boys consuming mm. porn but there's a lot of women women Heaps, as well yes. young young girls yep. that like yep. it and there's different types of porn that cater to young mm-hmm, women mm-hmm. because as you said like it's directed by a woman mm-hmm. women like to see different yes. things in my experience when i've spoken about it with my friends we like to see more real yes. sex yes. Not yep. so much this plastic, or um, not 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 to say that that's not okay or not enjoyable, but I haven't he- heard that to be the kind yeah. of porn that women I yep. know want to consume, mm-hmm. and and just natural like real women, yes.
0: women with yeah, cellulite, women on with their bigger bum, bodies, all that sort of stuff, hair, all of yep. that, yep, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's the yep. part of feminist slash ethical porn. That's what that's their goal is to do that at making it more realistic and things like that.
1: Mm-hmm, hmm So what are, are there any legal kind of um, implications if we did get a subscription and share it with our children? Yeah, I still don't know because they're, they're
0: around every state is different and they're still, to be honest, I feel like they're just catching up. Like they're constantly catching up with the sexting stuff and things like that. So technically really if you show, that's, well, I suppose really, if you any, you're not allowed to show anyone under 18 porn, right? So that's the thing. So yes, you can get in trouble. I suppose there's lots of the same with the alcohol stuff, things like that. I think there's a can't remember what the last loophole of the alcohol is if it's in your home different to outside. Look, but I would say I'm just I'm I don't know right now at this minute today, the, the latest I looked at still was you have to be over 18, so it's it's a crime to show someone porn under 18. So that's mm-hmm. that sort of thing around trying to work out you know your kid right and you know we've got these laws and just like just like the age of consent you know there's in most places it's 16 but in some states i think it's still tassie in south australia it's 17 but we know that there are parents absolutely facilitating that letting their young people under that age stay under their house and have sex you know it's that thing of having conversations because some of these laws are supposed to keep you safe but they also don't always make sense right because you could you probably know most of us know that there might be or yourself, you may have been having sex younger and been in an okay, you know, situation. The relationship is okay, but they've got to make some laws, right? So sometimes it's that thing of, um yes, it's illegal, but what do you? How are you going to have this conversation? I suppose it's that thing of um they'll they'll go find it anyway if if you don't do that. But you know, it's, it's I suppose that's really a personal decision.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Okay. What about this scenario? What about if we are wanting to have these conversations with our child? We've come to the terms that we're having, you know, it's going to be difficult and uncomfortable for mm. us. And then mm. um, are there any, like, places we could send them for resources so that they could perhaps watch a video without us necessarily being yeah. there? Yeah, look, I mean, there's um, heaps and heaps of things on the internet and some of it's great and some
0: of it isn't. I know that there's, like, even on my, on my page on the, on the internet, have a lot of sex-positive websites that people can uh, look at, get really good information. Is it Scarlatine? is one that comes to mind, but there's also really great videos that people can look at around consent and different things. So I suppose that's one thing parents can do, look up some of the sex education. I mean, lots of the different, like the sexual health service I used to work at in Adelaide has heaps of stuff online and can direct parents to give resources to young people because we know that they like watching videos and things, short things as well. And that's got information that's not judgy and things like that.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about if um, I'm just kind of like trying to go through all the scenarios in my mm-hmm. head of what could happen if you did introduce your child to porn. And, again, of course, as you've stated many times, like you know your child, mm. but what if something happens where they, they have some sort of addiction, mm-hmm. they, they have, uh, you know, they start kind of watching it too often. How can we <laughs> kind of be supportive and regulate that Look. knowing that if, let's say, we pulled that subscription, that if we did make that choice, that they could still access. Absolutely. And I words. think I don't I don't use the term addiction with porn
0: but I certainly do whether whether it's masturbation or sex or whatever I I call it problematic or so so clients will come to me if they think that it's problematic or maybe compulsive and that's anything because let's be honest most people like we could say this about our mobile phones that's a that's a whole nother story right but yes yeah obviously I even without porn some young people will masturbate a lot because they've got a lot of hormones going on. So I suppose it's really just having that conversation around, you know, is this getting in the way? And I do this with anybody, whatever age, because I see a lot of adults too, um, around is this, is this actually hampering you from having like a good social life, things like that. So for some people, their masturbation, whether it's with porn or not, becomes, you know, the only thing that they feel good about. So we have conversations around what that is. So it's about just trying to do it because really again, people always panic about porn. And um, we know that there are a lot of people who are gaming for hours and they can't, they're not even outside, you know? So it's that thing of how do we have just a conversation saying, hey, if you feel like you're doing this too often and it's getting in the way and you can't do anything else,
1: let's have a conversation about that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I, it just keeps coming up for me that I, I'm I mean, I don't know if any of these kinds of parents would be listening to this podcast anyway, but <laughs> that so many parents are going to be struggling sure. with this. Um, how can parents get support? Let's say they want to have these, start having these conversations with their child or children and they're just like, I am just really, really feeling really stuck, but I know it's important. How can I get some support? So depending on where you are, look at the, you know, look up the
0: sexual health services or sexual health teams and they will have online resources specifically for caregivers because like when I used to work at a sexual health service in Adelaide, so that's one, um, Shine SA. Um, I used to work there and they specifically made resources. And I know all the places, and this is within Australia, but also, okay, if you if someone's in the US, there's Planned Parenthood. There's plenty of and Scarletine, there are places that are specifically, you know, they'll go for professionals and then they have resources that are just for parents to help you have that conversation. Um, here in Brisbane it's called True, I think, and you would have heaps of places in you're in Victoria, right? Yeah. Yes. So they've got some great stuff. So it's like um going on their resources, because what, what they want you to do is, is to be, we always come from the perspective of no shame, because children, you know, are not born feeling shame, they're taught it. And so right. we just want them to be able to have the open dialogue. And, and look, they'll still often go somewhere else and ask other people questions because it's just that weird thing of like I don't really want to talk to my parents about this. But knowing that right. there's this space, so it's so lovely that some people can then come to them and talk about contraception if they need it and things like that. So there's plenty of stuff mm-hmm. online that's good and not, not um, you know, fear-based and things like that because I don't think that's helpful at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I- I think I think it's so important as you say to have these conversations from an early age and uh, uh, my girlfriend told me um that her daughter when she was young i think she was like around 5 years old asked like how how babies yeah. made yeah. and she was like oh okay this is how uh-huh. so then she's like she talked about the ingredients she said oh well there mommy and daddy have ingredients and we mix them together <laughs> and then that's how we made you yeah yeah <laughs> And then it was I was like, oh, that's a really great way of explaining it. And then she was talking about with her her partner, and she said, um, she was talking to their daughter and said, you know, we don't want to say it only happens when two people are in love. Yes. We want her to know that mommy and daddy are in love, but it can happen it feels also when you're not in love. All sorts of, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it feels good. But also two people said yes. But two mm-hmm, people said yes, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. they decided to do this together. Yeah. Because they wanted to do yeah. it because it feels good. And let's
0: be honest, young young people are doing that. Children will often are very curious, and they'll be sexual. And parents flip out when they find out that their kids will often, if they're an only child, they'll manage to do that with someone else. They'll find someone else to do it with a sleepover or something. And usually, so it's also about not shaming them and just saying, "I understand this feels good, but we don't touch each other's bodies until we're a bit older." You know, all of this stuff, but doing it without shaming mm-hmm. them because we just know that they're curious with a very different head, you know, on them than we're looking at it through adult eyes. So I think it's important to kind of understand that but yeah I think my daughter was about nine when she came in and, and she overheard gosh this is show. this is how old I am and I was watching Dawson's Creek and she happened to come out of the room I think she was nine or actually she was probably younger and she came out the room and overheard the word orgasm so that's how I had the conversation even though so I was already on my sort of journey of being a sex educator anyway but she came out and said what's that And so I then said, oh, it's just this lovely thing that people can experience and it's really nice if they're touching themselves. She's like, oh, okay, and then went back to bed. (laughs) So that's how I had the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. it it was really interesting as well because uh, my friend's daughter was watching Shrek actually and there's a scene in it where um, Shrek and um, I can't remember, Fiona, they accidentally get pregnant again. (laughs) And her daughter was like, oh, mom, but, you know, how come she was surprised? Didn't they know that they were making a baby? Weren't they mixing the ingredients? And I was like, oh, my God. She's so switched yes. on. Like she was like even from this car, and that's what I
0: mean. So there's often ways you can do that. So like I said, you know, if you've got a questioner like that little one asking questions, Mm. but some kids don't. So that's where I often say to people, I know it's uncomfortable. It's you know, and I often say don't have to sit down and like sit down across. Let's talk about this. It's more like just an ongoing combo. And you know, I often say to people, you know, do it in the car when they're not facing you. You know, just throw it out there and different things. Hey, have you heard about this? Or you know, I want or leaving. You know, it's great books and so you can do that around gender and all sorts of stuff and and putting those books there and it might start a conversation but I suppose really if you can from the get-go is just meaning it, it is an ongoing conversation that never ends someone's over and says oh so and so did you see that she's a slut and you're like did you hear that we don't use that word in here what does that even mean and have a whole dialogue there you know the radio mainstream tv you know there's so Mm. many things where you can use that to have a conversation about many things so sex ed is not just about oh p and the v it's about so many things consent Mm. and you know that stuff
1: Yeah, I I think it's so great. There's so many examples we can use, and like movies are a really Mm -hmm. great one. Like if we can use a a cartoon to explain Because
0: even in movies, because you're talking, obviously we're having a conversation here about porn, but media does this, the sexual objectification of women and all of that is in in video clips. They just keep um, honing in on porn, but it's actually way bigger than that. Instagram, editing photos, just like all of it. So it's about how, you, you know, trying to, bring it to their attention so they can be a bit more you know critical thinkers really what porn literacy is is giving them a framework to look at when they see these images and unpack what's going on in there and not taking it for face value that that's how it's real just like you know imagine if we grew up knowing that every photo we saw in a magazine was edited if there was a little sign on the bottom that said this photo is is edited or photoshopped so you would just You know, you grow up seeing, um, you would grow up totally feeling different about your body, right? So it's like being real.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad that that's getting better mm. because I definitely was always like, oh, I'm, I've am i always been bigger than the other girls around me. And I always kind of made myself wrong because of it. But now like I've curated my feed. So there's a lot of bigger bodies in my yep. feed, big, beautiful bodies that have not been photoshopped. That's so so it's like, it, it, it's really interesting. I was talking to my girlfriend about how much my perception of myself has changed because of- yeah
0: my curated feed and well. that's exactly and, what we do in some of my sessions often i talk to people then when i used to run lots of workshops for young people at school around if you're going to be on social media i want you to ha- do an experiment start following people who have different colored skin than you who are um, able-bodied disabled folks on the spectrum da da, da everything and then just keep seeing because eventually the algorithm is going to feed you that stuff and then you will start seeing just such beautiful diversity which can totally flip your mind which is being taught only one thing you know
1: so totally. if we do that. It kind of that's yeah. one
0: way to push back at it.
1: Yeah. Other than seeing just women who look like me, yes. always, yes. always white, always totally. This type of body, and know. there's amazing fat yeah.
0: activists on there who are just showing their body in sexual ways and throwing back. And they have beautiful ways of just coming back at all that crap that we're fed. So yeah, it, there's many
1: ways you can do that. I know it is really beautiful, and it's really interesting, even seeing the comments and processing. Like even people saying, "Oh, you're so brave," and it's like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know having given conversations about that and all these kind of little microaggressions yeah. and you know what that even means and 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 have we been contributing to it For as sure. well like yeah I remember reading Clementine Ford's book and going oh my gosh I've done yeah. things in this book and I didn't even no, realize you don't so kind do of, you yeah, yeah 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 you just learn all this stuff and then you're like where did that come from yep you know, I have a feminist mother, so I know it didn't come from her, but how, you know, what pressures am I putting on myself because of the things I'm seeing around me? Yeah. And I think that's
0: all part of it. You know, like I think you uh, you said in one of the questions there, like I was in Prague at a sexology conference and my title was raising sexually um porn literacy raising um sexually intelligent young people and that's my whole thing around just it's 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 about porn but it's about all the things unpacking and and looking at it and being real and giving them something rather than scaring the shit out of them so they don't do anything it's like or when something happens they don't go talk about it so it's like so many of my older clients would tell me they saw something and they were like i was so disturbed by it i didn't know what to say Whereas if you have this whole dialogue going, you give them something to look at and go, oh, yeah, right, okay. Just like if they watch a scary movie, knowing that a lot of that stuff is just fake, you know?
1: Mm. And I think as well, the way that you're talking about it, it's just kind of really matter of fact, it's not like making this big deal about something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when a, a child falls over and skims their knee, if you like make a huge big deal. Deal about it. They're going to start freaking yeah. out. But if you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, are you hurt? Let's yeah. deal that Otherwise, you'll be right. Yeah. You know, I I feel like a lot of kids like watch for their parents' reaction. Um, reaction. Yeah,
0: and that's that whole thing of just modelling um, back that that there's this open dialogue and that they're there and they're not going to be shamed. You know, because some people are like right if you watch porn. I think it was right. Marty Klein at one of his things. He said that, you know, it was something along the lines of, if you watch porn, well, Uncle Jimmy got put in jail because he watched porn. You know, crap, the porn panic thing. It's like, just sit right. down. Even if you're uncomfortable and talk about, are they freaking out what they saw? They're like, oh my gosh, is, do, I, do I really have to do that? Do I have to have anal sex? And it's like, well, some people yeah. like it, but some people don't. You need to actually ask. That's the thing they don't do in porn, really. You don't see the part where every single time you have sex, it's about questions, ongoing questions. Consent is not just a one off thing, it's ongoing, but it's also like, oh, what do you like? Because you can't just, even though you might think, oh, that looks really cool when you see something on there, cool. But you need to ask the person, would they like to do that, or the people? So that's the conversations that are important.
1: Mm. And I, I remember, I'm just going to out one more thing before we wrap up because I think this is really important. My mother told me a story about, um, actually not too long ago, which is, Really sad <laughs> that a man said something very um inappropriate to her. And my response was like, Oh my god, you're so lucky I wasn't there. I would have been I would have just given it to him. And she said, Well, that's your reaction, Talia, but my reaction is to freeze. And and it just it was like so many people's reactions when they're in com- uncomfortable situations that- I'd of freeze. To yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 when she said that, I was like, Oh yeah, I do too. But I guess because it was you, I was I my reaction was anger. Yes. But if it was, I've been in the position where I've frozen before as well. And, and you're kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't know like what to do here. And that's when you feel when you're in unsafe, you're uncomfortable. Totally. There's not, there's been a breach of consent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even talking about these kinds of things, yeah. um, you know, and explaining that, like no one said that to me when I was growing up, I didn't really have a conversation of, you know, a freeze response, mm-mm, you mm-mm. know, more often than not is to a, a clue that you're, in a situation that you're not where feeling you feel great
0: answer. absolutely yeah and
1: in tune mm-hmm. and i think we're
0: getting a little bit better at understanding we need to uh um talk about emotional first aid and all those things let's talk about feelings and how to deal with all those as well that come becomes you know all part of this conversation
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wow i i just um i feel like this is so valuable mm-hmm. thank you so oh, much thanks for having me on. um Uh, No worries. Um, Before we wrap up, is there anything, any like piece of advice that you could give to parents listening to this Um, or even like friends of parents, godparents who want to be more uh, helpful to young people? I just think if you can, (laughs) you know, even on the inside, if you're
0: like, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I say? To kind of just go, you don't have to be perfect. No, you know, nobody's, we've all got the stuff. So I think it's also about working on, you know, the stuff that we had. We all had different messages and a lot of it was silence or shame but also that we can change that. So part of this is like that whole next generation of having different conversations. So um, also, yeah, that you, you might not get it right and it might be uncomfortable. And then you can say that. That's one of the other things. Say, listen, this is so uncomfortable for me to say, I'm not quite sure about this, but I just want to talk about it. You know, like you don't to get it perfect. So just sort of, yeah, starting a conversation saying, you, you're probably going to feel really weird when I ask you this. I'm feeling really weird too, but I just want to say, I know there's lots of porn out there, Do you want to have a chat about it? If you see anything that made you uncomfortable, you know, all of that, but admitting it because you don't have to get it perfect. And there is heaps of things on the internet to help you start those conversations. I do it all the time. I have people sometimes book sessions with me, not not necessarily for themselves but how to talk to their young people.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here, Naomi. Uh, This has been so enlightening. (laughs) I I just feel like we could talk for hours because this is just so important. Yeah, it's a good topic. Um, It is such a good topic. And I just think it's so important. And I I I don't know, I think because it's so uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about Mm -hmm. that they just are like, well, they shut it off.
0: Yeah. And that's Mm, there are some people who hate that I'm even they don't agree with me even suggesting a porn literacy. They're just like, shut it off. And I'm like, that is not helpful. It's still there.
1: No. Just like the drugs
0: thing. Yeah, right. It's still happening. So we've got to have the conversation. You don't like I said, you don't even have to say, you know, I suggest to people. You don't, you know, do, try not to shame your kids say, it's disgusting and, and that's not helpful. But it, you, you can say, I yeah. haven't watched it, but I know people do. So let's have a conversation.
1: Right, mm. yeah. yeah. I, I guess what was coming to mind for me is just there's so many parents who, like, who aren't watching porn mm. and so they couldn't imagine why somebody yeah, else <laughs> exactly. might want to Exactly, <laughs> Especially because maybe they're being sexual and so children who
0: aren't but are having sexual feelings and they're really curious and all of that stuff. So I suppose it's, it's just understanding that and that, you know, then that way what we're doing is helping them to be able to make informed decisions and um, be, you know, s- critical sexual thinkers around the decisions around it, all of that stuff.
1: Mm. I think one of the, the most important things that you've said today is if we don't have this conversation and make it safe, then they're not no, going to talk to us about won't. it. They won't. Yeah. And then you won't know. Things will happen. Yeah. And you Absolutely, know the, and that's the sort of key is that you want to uh,
0: hopefully keep that um, line of communication open. So if they know that, even if it, like I said, it's probably going to feel weird, okay, and it might not go well, and you can stumble over your words, but that's okay. It's like all things, you know. You'll get more comfortable as as you do it. But like even just in that, usually older teenagers will often just, oh, okay, don't say that. Don't talk to me about that. But it's like it, you've said yeah. it. At least you've put it out there. Going, I'm giving this a whirl, and I'm not going to cut it off because usually what I see on the other end every single day is people who had nothing but silence or very outright shaming, which is also unhelpful.
1: Yeah. And yeah, it's so damaging. I just, I know somebody who's married. It was very, she's brought up in a religious household, mm-hmm. really important to her to be mm-hmm. married. And her husband was telling me, this was a, little, a while ago, he's like, I can't have sex with my wife. I've told this story on the podcast yeah. before, but I can't have sex with my wife because she has so much yes. shame. Yes. Yes. We're, we're married and she still carries. It's like with they me. think
0: it's going to just stop. And yeah, like I said, I see many clients a day and this is a very f- uh, familiar theme.
1: Mm. Mm. oh. Yeah. It's just heartbreaking. It is. Yeah, so heartbreaking. It is. It's awful. Yeah. That's such a wonderful thing for people to experience. Why wouldn't we want <laughs> to have this joy in our lives? Exactly. Exactly well naomi thank you again and how can people find out about more about you and get in touch
0: with you um so on instagram i do a lot of just using comedy on there i usually do stuff around um, sexual health or um, awareness relationship stuff but that's uh, australian sexologist but if you actually want to have an appointment which i do face-to-face or online you just can google me like naomi hutchings it's uh, www.naomihutchings.com and then there's a booking system
1: there Naomi, thank you so much. Um, for anyone listening, you can find all the links mentioned in this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP 37. You're a legend. I really appreciate you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Having a conversation. Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. And find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast.